Hello and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Caroline Carvonen, who is the manager of sustainability at Electro Utilities, Guelph's electricity provider. We've heard a lot about the city of Guelph's intention to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions to net zero by 2050, and at the same time reaching the goal of getting to 100% of our power from renewable sources at that same time. That is the corporate goal, though, of the city of Guelph, but the city of Guelph is not the entity that gives the royal city its power. While the goals are laudable, isn't there a key partner that the city needs to help make their environmental goals for power use a reality? Like the company that provides all our electricity? Well, there was recently some good news on that account, so working to go greener is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Last month, the largest municipally owned energy company in Canada, who just so happens to be co-owned by the city of Guelph, announced their intention to cut their own emissions to net zero by 2050. That year, less than three decades away now, seems to be the red line for both governments and companies in terms of reaching net zero emissions. In 2020, South Korea, Japan, and Canada all declared that they will work towards that target. And so did the oil and gas company BP, the Ford Motor Company, American Airlines, and Facebook. In all, 124 countries have committed or are thinking about net zero goals, representing 52% of the planet's population and 61% of all global emissions. One out of five of the world's largest 2,000 companies have also set net zero commitments, companies that represent $14 trillion in sales worldwide. Of course, setting lofty goals is the easy part. Actually, achieving them is the hard part. For Electra, not only are they working to net zero by 2050, they are aiming to reduce corporate emissions by 38% of their 2016 baseline by 2025, just four years away. That translates to an annual reduction of greenhouse gases by 4.2% every year, which sounds easy. But as you will hear in this podcast, the vast majority of Electra's GHG output is in the buildings and also, especially, in their vehicles. If you want to replace your family vehicle with an electric car, it's actually pretty easy. But can you buy an electric version of one of those big work trucks with the cherry picker? That is one of the challenges that we explore on this week's podcast with Caroline Carvonen, who will also talk about Electra's efforts and how they intersect with Guelph as well as the other municipalities they serve, and whether they are also coordinating with other electricity providers in Ontario. She will also take us through the process and how Electra came up with their targets, what they have to do in order to reach those targets, and how Electra will adapt if and when they achieve key indicators earlier than expected. And finally, Carvonen will discuss how they make buildings more energy efficient, the intricacies of making all the various vehicles that Electra uses an EV vehicle, and how those changes, all of them, might end up affecting your energy bill. So I caught up with Caroline Carvonen last week via Zoom. So Caroline Carvonen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I guess uh, to set the stage for moving to net zero um, off the top of your head, and it's okay if you don't know like the exact number, but I mean, how much infrastructure is Electra responsible for maintaining across all the various 
members and communities it's a part of. Um, again, I, you're, you're searching for the exact number, but I mean, if, if a ballpark is okay, just so we can sort of set the scale. I mean, in terms of assets, I mean, we have over 5.3 billion in assets. Now, I mean, if you're looking at, like we have thousands of kilometers of lines, thousands of poles, um, a lot of infrastructure, but in terms of our um, impact on greenhouse gas emissions, it's, it's really, it's our fleet. Mm. It's our vehicles that service throughout our service territory um, that have the most uh, emissions. So 62% of our emissions are associated uh, with our fleet. Um, and then sort of almost 30% is our facilities and the remaining part is um, a gas that's used in some of the assets um, that sort of rounds out the remainder. Uh, but by far the biggest impact is, is our fleet. And those three items make up um, the areas of focus for our reduction targets. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about those targets. Um, the goal is to get to net zero by 2050. Um, 38% uh, compared to the 2016 baseline um, by 2025. Uh, how, how, how did Electra come up with those goals? Yeah, so we um, actually consulted the science-based target uh, methodology. So it's an open source, uh, I guess, option online. There's you know, an Excel sheet that you can download where you, you input your current emissions. And it tracks out that if you want to maintain a global warming below that 1.5 degrees Celsius that's set out in the climate on the Paris Climate Agreement, uh, it looks at the impact that your organization has. So we can put in our emissions and it tells us what we need to do in order to limit that warming to 1.5 degrees. And it sets you out on that path to 2050. So it's great to say 2050 will be net zero and yeah, we'll figure that out in 2049. Like that's, that's <laughs> not an option. So what are we doing right now uh, to limit and reduce what we're putting you know, into the atmosphere right now? Um, and so that, that methodology indicates you know, an annual reduction and up to 2025. So it works out to you know, just over 4% per year immediately. Mm -hmm. um, but this also builds on a target that we had set a couple years ago, which was 20% below 2016 by 2026, which was somewhat arbitrary. Um, it aligned with some of the uh, climate organizations we were members of, um, but at least it, it got us on that path, got us tracking our emissions, sort of that, you know, what gets measured gets managed, start tracking, tracking our achievements. And, and it provided the organization with confidence. So we started to have, you know, we saw a 17% reduction a couple of years ago. So that was getting pretty close to 20%. So what's that next step? And then consulting science-based target methodology, um, as well as support from the executive and the board and employees uh, to, to set a more a sort of aggressive target on that path to 2050. Putting the two things together, and by all means, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, reaching these targets almost seems easier said than done. I mean, if we're talking about 44% a year, um, I mean, you could probably break that down into how many trucks you could, you know, replace with electric trucks or, or uh, trucks that get better GHG mileage or, or whatever. Um, you always have to replace trucks anyway, because trucks always reach the end of their lives. So, you know, is, is this, is this easier than perhaps <laughs> we, we think in our minds? <laughs> Well, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if I could snap my fingers and replace all of our vehicles with all electric options, sure. Um, but obviously, there's a lot of capital required right. to 
uh, to pass that out to pay for that. So uh, it has to be done. Yes, trucks that do need replacing, can they be replaced with a more efficient model? Um, also, a lot of our trucks right now don't have an easy replacement option. Right. So our large, you know, double bucket trucks that you see servicing poles, there isn't any uh, a replacement right now. They're they're coming, um, but in terms of a mass market option, um, that's not available. A lot of pickup trucks. Uh, I mean, sure, Tesla has their Cybertruck, but mm. you know that's probably not <laughs> going to be an easy option. But as other models, the Ford F one fifty coming out with you know other models that have an electric um, equivalent is something that we can look at in the future. So as, yes, and fleet is working on that plan right now. So that, that is the, the X factor is just like, you can't run out and buy the, the equipment you need um, because mm -hmm. it's, it's not yet available or it's in the planning stages or it, it's yeah. like Tesla would be prohibitively expensive option, right? <laughs> Yeah. And, and I mean, we're, and there is still that option that, you know, we are still providing, you know, electricity is a commodity for our customers. It still needs to be reliable and affordable. Like those are, right. those are, that's the focus, you know, of our service. Um, so, and it is, it is also trying to be creative with what else can we do that doesn't have a high price tag associated with it. So can we look at behavior change? So our staff that use the vehicles, yes, they need to idle to run the equipment in the field, but is there anywhere where we, we can reduce that? Are there other technologies we can put on the vehicles such as idling, uh, there's sort of an automatic idling inhibitor where it turns mm. the engine off and runs off an auxiliary battery. So that's something that's obviously not replacing an entire vehicle. Um, it's a smaller, uh, more sort of cost-effective item that still provides greenhouse gas reductions and also extends the life of the vehicle as well. Um, there's other technologies that can save fuel running the diesel engine more efficiently you, that utilize the fuel. So these are, are other technologies that we're implementing um, that help us reduce our greenhouse gases that yet yeah, don't have that sort of large price tag, I guess you could say. Right. These other changes though, you know, buying the, the electric trucks and, you know, getting the, this equipment by and large, utility companies will have to be that driver because you know not everybody's going to buy one of like one of those trucks with the 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 apple picker in it i mean that's mm -hmm. not a, a the, like a consumer product it's like electra and other utility companies have to play that stake in the ground so that your suppliers get the message that this is the kind of stuff you're looking to buy mm -hmm. yeah and that's and i mean there's there's other companies now that are coming up you know with these bucket trucks um and they're Canadian companies as well. Uh, so yeah, as utilities and, I mean, it's the same thing similar to, to buses, for mm. example. There's now several manufacturers that are doing electric buses, but obviously a very uh, unique vehicle to a small uh, you know, portion of vehicles purchased, but you know, everything eventually will need to, will, is going in that direction. So they are looking at those sort of very specific vehicles, you know, buses, bucket trucks, pickup trucks, every, as, just, yeah, as the technology has improved and battery process and charging times and all the charging infrastructure um, will allow the sort of niche vehicles uh, to be produced. You said the other par portion of this was uh, buildings and, and I was looking at, um the Electra website. And it seems that like the buildings are doing pretty good um, in terms of energy efficiency. Um, 
a lot of them are LEED certified, L-E-E-D. Um, so I'll just ask you, first of all, what does LEED certified mean? And what are the different tiers? Because I noticed that some of the buildings are ranked like mm -hmm. LEED gold and some of them are just plain LEED and mm -hmm. which, which one is better and, yeah. and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, so LEED is leadership in energy and environmental design. Uh, so it takes into account not just the efficiency of the building, but also um, wellness opportunities within the building. So natural, so uh, natural light, air quality, uh, in internally also looks at uh, exterior landscaping, use of local raw materials. Uh, you know, is the parking lot? You know, is it permeable paving versus? So there's a lot of things that that go into a building being LEED certified. And of course, there's also whether or not we do have different types of leads. So some of it's for the new construction, some of it's for renovations, some of it's for operations and maintenance. So there are a number of different lead categories that all go into, you know, the, the design of the building and attempt to be more uh, efficient, essentially. So we do have sort of four lead uh, certified right now. Uh, and now I believe there might be another category above lead platinum, but that yeah. was sort of the, the best. And then it was gold, then silver, and then certified. Right. Uh, so certified is sort of that, that I guess the, the lowest option, but still it means you've gone above and be above, you know, sort of that base code to be more of a, a energy and efficient uh, design model. Um, so yeah, several, two of the most recently constructed buildings, so new construction, uh, were built to lead gold. And of course, the new building, um, the new service center will be also constructed to that lead gold standard. And just so people appreciate, you know, lead is something that, well, anyone as a builder, not just Electra, but anyone mm -hmm. who's building a building to lead certification, that is something they do under their own directive because the Ontario building code does not demand any, you know, sort of green features. It's, it's the Correct. bare minimum. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of municipalities do have their own sort of internal policy that says um, if you're going to construct a new building, like a new fire station, a new EMS station, police, like any of their municipal services, minimum is lead, you know, lead silver, lead gold. So a lot of municipalities have stated um, those, but those are for their own internal targets. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that you uh, are keeping an eye on billions of dollars in assets uh, across the province. Um, but since this is Guelph Politico, I, I, I do want to ask about Guelph directly. Um, are there any specific challenges here um, that are you know, might impede the uh, Electra getting to goal, getting to the goal of uh, net zero, or um, are, are, are maybe, are we ahead of the game? I mean, where do we sit in the, in the plan? In terms of Guelph specifically? Yeah. Um, well, I don't see anything impeding any actions that, that we would take. Um, obviously having, you know, the support of council, of, of local councils, of any of the service uh, or any of our shareholders um, and to the service territory that we serve, having that support is crucial. Um, even setting this target, we know that a lot of our municipal partners have their own internal targets, mm -hmm. whether it's net zero by 2050, whether it's net zero for their community assets, whether it's the entire community uh, reducing emissions. 
Um, I know Guelph has their targets around renewable energy procurement. So having those goals um, is fantastic because we, we, then, we then align um, with our shareholders um, and the communities that they, they represent and that they serve. So that alignment and those shared values are critical. Right. I was going to ask about that because, I mean, 2050, a lot of municipalities have laid out that goal to get to net zero. The federal government has. Um, it, it just, I guess it's, it, there, there is a purpose behind it, you know, timetables, expectations, things like that. Um, is there any kind of coordination? I mean, I realize that you have your assets, we have our assets and, you know, Hamilton has its assets, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But I mean, is there any way that you and your municipal partners can like piggyback on each other's efforts? Or is it just like, we, we, we will all get there. It's just, we have to get there separately. Yeah. Well, I think part of this has been borne out in the past um, with the focus on energy conservation. Hmm that had to be done in concert with, with municipalities, with our customers, with residential customers, with industrial, with business customers. Like there is that, there is that sort of historical evidence that that worked obviously when, you know, we all work together, but it does include contributions from, from all those different elements. Um, so like conservation, anything that we can help our customers with, I mean, to reduce energy, to reduce their electricity consumption has a direct effect on your, you know, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so sort of that historical energy conservation does sort of tie in with our greenhouse gas reduction. Um, so I see that sort of continuing on with additional services that we can provide uh, going forward. Mm -hmm. And is there any coordination at all with, I mean, Electra is not the only utility company in the province or, or the country. I mean, is, mm -hmm. you know, is there any coordination with, with other electricity providers you know to to you know again piggybacking on you know yeah. it, it, again i'm thinking about the trucks I'm, I'm i'm normally focused on the trucks but i mean if electra is looking for new electric work trucks um mm -hmm. you know maybe toronto hydro or you know uh, opg you know that that creating that kind of united front in looking for sustainable resources would yeah, yeah, and I think I mean one area that I that I also work in is um, there's many electricity associations. For example, there's a provincial one, um, the the ED the Electricity Distributors Association. There's also the Canadian Electricity Association, and um, I'm currently vice chair. Uh, this is a mouthful, but it's the Canadian Electricity Association Sustainable Electricity Steering Committee, <laughs> and so um, so I'm vice chairing that, and this is a national, these are utilities from across the country. So we have in our meetings, we have everyone from the Yukon, Northwest Territories, BC, all the way out to the Maritimes with utilities everywhere in between. So it's, it's across, you know, country team. Um, and it's got all different utilities from just distributors to, you know, BC Hydro that does, you know, generation, transmission, distribution, everything. Um, and so it is truly a collaborative effort and each year we measure metrics that improve sustainability throughout all of our companies. And then each year we, we test new metrics to see can each utility collect this information? Okay, yep. So first step is yes, we get the information. Then we look at setting a target to improve that. Um, I mean, even just personally and with Electra and my role as the manager of sustainability, I'm extremely focused on collaboration. Mm. Yes, we want to improve Electra, but there's also that sort of notion of, you know, imp 
lofty goal, but sort of improving <laughs> the planet and sort right. of that, that requires sort of everyone working together. Um, so, you know, I've, we've hosted sustainability roundtables that included the sustainability professionals from all the municipalities we serve and all of the region uh, governments that we serve. We bring everyone together. I mean, okay, not during COVID, but right. prior to that, we'd had two tables or two dates where we brought everybody together and, and people were sharing, you know, York region had a, um, they created policies about how they're going to manage their electric, electric vehicle charging infrastructure. And they just said to everyone in the room, like, we've created this policy. We addressed a lot of the concerns that your regional and your municipal governments are going to have, but they're like, here it is, here is the policy. So everyone was starting to share their own policies and sharing the information and overcoming barriers that kind of everyone else was either encountering or finding out how they overcame it. Um, so collaboration is something critical that we've been helping with utilities across the country, um, but also, you know, even our municipal uh, and government partners. Is it important that utility providers so sort of take the lead in trying to reach that goal of sustainability, creating a healthier planet? You know, I, it just seems that everything we do in a day as plugs into something. Um, so, I mean, just thinking about, you know, where that power comes from, you know, is, you know, is, do you feel any kind of added responsibility as someone who manages sustainability for an, a utility company? Yeah, absolutely. And I think like how you were saying that, you know, you think about it every day, you plug things in. The thing is that quite often we, we don't. Yeah. We, even when we are in the past, when we were so focused on energy conservation, it's like, it's, it's invisible. You don't necessarily, you don't see it until you realize the computer I'm staring at right now is plugged into the wall and I'm getting electricity. Like, but it's not something that, you know, you don't see little pollution swirls coming out the back <laughs> of your laptop. So it's, it's something that people do interact with every day. Um, and I think kind of using that, that I know I've talked about it a lot, but that just that energy conservation that we've been looking at, you know, it has impacted people. Like we have, you know, new billing options where if you are, you know, you're on peak or off peak use, if you have an electric vehicle that you're charging it, you know, at night. So these are things that people are starting to, to think about even producing their own electricity. Do they have solar on their own homes feeding into the grid. Like, so the, there is a lot more that people are connecting uh, with electricity. And so I think that as it is becoming more visible um, and as we, we are conserving, like that is something that the utilities is focused on. So I think that, and we know that's where that path forward is going to be that electrification of everything from your vehicles to your home, heat pumps versus, you know, natural gas heating. Like there are things that, you know, will become more electrified in the future. And so that is, that's kind of, that is a key role um, that the utility can play. Mm -hmm. And you know, as a sustainability manager at the utility, we also may want to make sure that, you know, we're walking that talk um, so that we are reducing our own uh, emissions at our own facilities and in our own uh, fleet, uh, you know, yeah, to walk that talk. I, I, I am now thinking about if there maybe should be a, if, if there is a value in having a small smokestack on all our computers, even if it's just aesthetic <laughs> to, to remind us. Uh, I think people want to kind of 
be involved in, in any of these kinds of endeavors. And I, I, at the very least, I think there are a lot of people in Guelph who are going to be very interested in seeing what Electra's results are. And I, along with that, I'm wondering, is there a way that are, are you thinking of, of a way to sort of convey to people um, the progress that is being made, like whether that's like just like an, an indicator on the website, it's like we're now like 10% closer or something like that. Like, is, is there a way people are going to be able to sort of follow the progress? Yes. And that is something that I'm, you know, currently working on actually is improving our sort of our, our communications and sort of those, that, those ESG, those environment, social and governance factors um, to showcase um, our leadership and our actions toward that. Um, and, and also identifying areas that, you know, we understand we need to improve and we're actively working towards that. So what are those steps that we are taking? Um, you know, and especially with, with our greenhouse gas reduction, we set that target. It's like, okay, so, you know, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, so for example, one step was, you know, this, this new service center that we are constructing will be lead. And here are the, uh, the you know, sort of features of that building that will help us reduce our emissions. Mm-hmm. So those steps and showcasing those actions that we are we are taking uh, will will be featured more prominently. Absolutely. Coupled with that, I can also see another portion of my audience going, "This sounds great. How is it going to affect my hydro bill?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. And that and that is the thing. That's why I said, you know, we can't just snap our fingers and replace all of our vehicles. Because, yeah, that 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 can't happen. So, um, you know, we still plan to do that at, at a measured pace, but when we have something like the need um, to, to have an, a new service center, I mean, the, for, for a number of reasons, but the current buildings, you know, they are considerably older. Mm. Um, and so when we do move into this, those two inefficient buildings, immediately there will be efficiency seen, um, you know, from the new building. Um, so, in same thing with vehicles that as we replace those vehicles, A, do they need to be replaced? So there's a full fleet assessment done on the vehicle needs. And if they are needed to be replaced, what are the most efficient options and cost savings that can be associated associated with reduced maintenance, reduce, you know, oil purchases, gas purchases. Like, so there are, you know, those sort of life cycle assessments that you do that will actually provide, can provide a savings. And, I mean, that's, that's the thing. A lot of the, when we move to something that is more, you know, sort of environmentally conscious, it, it doesn't always mean that there's an increased price tag. Right. And I mean, but like a small example is in our cafeteria services, the takeout containers were all plastic. So we, we asked the question, can we actually move to, you know, A, there's a reusable plates, but if we still have takeout to a more like the biodegradable option, turned out the biodegradable option was, was cheaper. So just mm. by asking the question, we moved into something that was cheaper. Um, and also a lot of the changes that we can make are associated with, you know, behavior change, again, that don't have necessarily a, a, a price tag on it. Um, so there's, we are trying to be creative, keeping in mind, yes, that ability to provide, you know, reliable, affordable electricity is still our mandate. Um, so as we go forward, those are those, are those that's what we are keeping in mind. Mm-hmm. And also in, in sort of my thinking about what other people might say if they were to, ha- to be face to face with you, I, I think there are also a lot of people here who would, are wondering, you know, is it possible or if, if it is possible, 
could Electra move up those deadlines? Like if it, if it is possible to get to net zero by 2045 and you see a road to do that, is that a mm-hmm. road you would take? I mean, if I have a crystal ball, I don't, so I can't say for sure. But I mean, we set that first target of 20% by 2026 and we achieved that. So, okay, that, that's great. Okay, so then we can set a little bit more of an aggressive target, track that. We track this, you know, I'm tracking our consumption each month. Um, and, you know, and now we're comparing it, you know, to the COVID months from last year. And, you know, obviously we used far less fuel, for example, in, at the start of COVID. So we are seeing that, yes, there was an increase in March and April compared to last year. Okay, so what does that mean overall? Sort of the, when we compare to our baseline, how are we doing? Um, so when we set our target, you know, when we presented this to our executive, to our board, it was stated that we will review this every year mm-hmm. to make sure that we are on, A, that we're on track. And if we're exceeding that, can we accelerate that timeline? And, you know, there are those technologies that, that don't exist right now. So say, you know, 15 years from now, all the vehicles are electric. You know, you have these sort of other technologies. Now you can replace every vehicle for electric. It's at par or it's cheaper. Like there are those sort of unknowns that may allow us to accelerate this faster. But using the known technology right now, this is that target. Mm -hmm. Um, So certainly, you know, if we can, if we can accelerate that, that would be great. But, you know, right now our, our next target is 2025. And as we get closer to that, we'll assess our working towards that target, set another interim target on that path to 2050. I did have yeah, another Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that is the answer people want. Um, I did have another crystal ball question, but since you do not have one, I will I will bring this interview in for a landing and just say, you know, twenty twenty six is five years away, um, so not that long. It'll be here before we know it. Um, the same could be said for twenty fifty, but I mean, even just ten years from now, if we were to like get back together like this maybe even in person in in 10 years in 2031 and we were to look at where electra is um how far along it's come you know what does what does it look like i mean what does you what does the utility world look like um in in 10 years and what do you hope it looks like yeah um well i i feel like you know the the utility industry is is, is changing with, with, you know, any industry that's been around for over a hundred years, um, there's always that disruption. Um, I think for us, it's, our customers are so much more engaged now within sort of the electricity realm. You know, they were called consumers and now they're, they're called prosumers. Um, so they, they want to better manage their electricity. They want to be able to, you know, if they put solar panels on their home and they go away for a week vacation, they want to be able to sell that electricity to their neighbor. So there's all these different transactions that can go on. You know, they call it the grid edge. And there are all these, you know, distributed energy resources, you know, the DERs of the world, energy storage, battery storage, you know, you've got your power wall in your garage, you've got your EV that's hooked up to your house, you can power your house off your car, but then your car can move around. So now you've got this mobile little like generator that can drive around and park and then sell to the grid. Like, so there's just so many sort of moving pieces. You know, yes, you still have your big centralized station, your, your nuclear station, but you've got all these 
sort of mobile and distributed resources now, um, moving away from that sort of decentralized model. So I see a lot more of those smaller scale, um, you know, solar renewable generation on people's homes, on businesses, that becoming sort of more the norm. Um, mm. That, you know, you buy a house, yes, of course it has solar panels on the roof. Of course it does. Like, why wouldn't <laughs> it? So those, like those kind of things that then, that become, that become normal. Um, I mean, we're connecting, you know, hundreds of gigawatt hours each year um, to the grid from homes, from businesses. Um, so I see that becoming more of that, um, the norm and knowing that those are renewable sources, non-fossil fuel emitting sources. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's what I see as kind of the, the, the main, I guess, element um, that will be pervasive. And I think that, that that is positive and that's kind of the, the focus I see. Okay. I just wanna, before we, we say goodbye, uh, I've been sort of fascinated by this picture of the, the eye of a hurricane just over yeah. your shoulder. And it's, it feels like you are literally being stalked by climate change, which I don't know if it's healthy or unhealthy, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, a, it's I, choice. I, yeah, no, and I, well, yeah, it is a reminder. And I, I also uh, used to live in the Caribbean for a number of years. And uh, yes, I wanted to be a meteorologist. So this is a, you know, sort of a, uh, a memory of that. Um, but then also that, yeah, you don't want, you don't want more of those. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, your your head's in the right place, uh, I think. So, uh, Caroline Carvonen, uh, we thank you for all your time today, and uh, we will uh, we will keep an eye on how how far along we come in sustainability with Electra. So, uh, thank you for all your time. Thank you very much. And once again, that was Caroline Carvonen. And to learn more about Electra Utilities and their sustainability efforts, you can visit their website at electrautilities, all one word, dot com. You can also stay on top of the City of Guelph's own efforts to get to 100% renewable and net zero emissions by 2050. And you can find that at the city's website under the Living tab. But you can also find the direct link on the show notes page for this episode. And that is it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU at the University Center on the University of Guelph campus. And to learn more about CFRU, you can go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast on Wednesday from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also download it from the host Podbean at guelphpoliticast.podbean.com. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can get in touch with me by email at animedonaldson at gmail.com. You can reach me through Twitter at animedonaldson or at guelphpolitico. There is also the Guelph Politico Facebook page, which you can find at facebook.com slash politicoguelph. And if you'd like to help build a locally sourced independent media outlet in the city of Guelph, then please consider donating to Guelph Politico, and you can find out how at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time. 